0: Finished an audio book that I started months ago. Listened to half of it, and you had to download the other half, and something came in, and something came in, and picked it up recently, and and, and then really finished it. And it turned out to be something that I really enjoyed. Some of you would, some of you wouldn't. Um, it's a travel book. I'll, I'll even tell you the name. It was Blue Highways by William Least Heat Moon. Not a Christian, not a big... Uh, not necessarily a fan of, of Christians, although he had some respect for some of the ones he met on the way. Uh, it's about 40 years ago, he set out in a camper and traveled around on what he called blue highways, the highways that they used to mark uh, in blue on the, on the old maps, off the interstate. And just to travel around the perimeter of our country, you know, looking for America stories to write, he was, his marriage had ended, he had nothing left to lose, and, and there he was. And for me, it's a trip back, not just a travel around the world, but it's a travel back in time to an age that we will never see in our country again. Because he talked to old-timers who had stories about the old days, and those days are gone, and things are are different. But at the end, he's writing the epilogue, and he's writing about, uh, he said it took him eight rewrites of the book and turned down by publishers, but he rewrote it that many times. So those of you in homeschool who are learning how to write term papers, and when your teacher, who's your mom, makes you rewrite and rewrite in rough drafts, that's part of the process. That's just a side note uh, for for those of you who that might apply to uh, Mr. Caleb. But um, he wrote the rewrites, and in that epilogue, he said that as he was writing about this travelogue, he said one of the authors, and I think I was washing dishes or something at the time, and I didn't. I think it was, um, I think it was um, John Irving, but one of the, the writers of that, of, of that day said, essentially, there are only two plots to every story. And my ears picked up, two plots to every story. So if I'm ever going to write my book, it's got to be one of these plots, right? Two plots to every story. He said it's either a stranger rides into town or a stranger rides out of town. And I thought, I don't know if I agree with that, but i thought about that ever since. And as I'm looking at this text, and we're thinking about Jesus riding into town on his colt, uh, that absolutely applies in this case. A stranger rides into town. Here comes Jesus into town. Everybody's gathered. It's the Passover feast. It's a celebration. The customs of that day, they would pack that city. Uh, the, the, the sacrificial Lambs, the blood was flowing on that week. And that's the week that the stranger decided to ride into town and be the ultimate Passover sacrifice for his people. It's not lost on us that, that the timing was there for that reason. Um, so Jesus comes into town. Uh, they think they know him. Everybody's got a perspective about him. He was famous. He was doing the, uh, the big stadium concerts early on. And then it dropped down to just clubs and houses and what he could do when he started to talk about following him. And the miracles weren't coming as much as the talk about his death and what it meant to take up your your own cross and follow him. And things had faded down. And then there was this last big push, and we see it, and we're going to get to it when we preach through John, where Lazarus was dead, and he was dead by four days, and And in the old King James, it said, Lord, he stinketh. He was seeing corruption. He was there in those four days in the tomb, and Jesus walked out to the tomb, and he did what uh, some of us maybe have been doing a lot these days as we look at our situation in the world that we live in. Jesus wept when he saw the condition of the world. And he yelled those words uh, into the tomb, and and through that, uh, it had been opened, but But the dead man heard his voice. Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus back from the dead. And naturally this caused a stir. Scientifically, uh, this, this didn't follow the science of the day. But they could see this man who they knew to be dead. Brought back to life at Jesus' voice calling him. And the crowds are starting to pack up again. Something's back. He's got a new, got a new gig. He's, he's back to doing the miracles. Come see this guy. And there they were, uh, to the point where they came. John says in the verses right, of, right previous to what we read, it said the people came not even just as much to see Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead, as they came to see the one who raised him from the dead, to the point where the people who were Jesus' rivals, who might have thought they had him, kind of under control a little bit. Now we're saying we've even got to kill Lazarus uh, to, to, to wipe out his popularity and, and to keep our own grip on power, which is what, uh, which is what religious governments, every government wants is, is that power to keep the grip on. And Jesus was messing with the structure. And so the crowds were there. And here comes Jesus, and the word gets out. He's coming into Jerusalem. And something prompted even more people than those who had had, uh, been with him out there where Lazarus was. And the people came, and they said, let's honor him. Let's call him our king. Let's lay the palm branches down. Incidentally, and it doesn't make it more true, Um, it's just interesting that all four Gospels cover this story. It's interesting which ones do, you know, it's true if one of them covers one instance. That's the Bible. That's true. But here's all four of them, and it's interesting to look at the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John on this. And John covers it. Uh, John's is the only one, uh, I understand. I, I didn't go back and, and double and triple check this, but John is the one where we call it Palm Sunday. It's the only one that talks about the palms. They all talk about people coming out to greet Jesus, but this is why we call it Palm Sunday. They waved the palms, and it's a, a kingly... Uh, image but Jesus is coming into town here come these people he's riding into Jerusalem at the height of the Passover feast not on a white horse he's not riding with the same uh, attitude as he's going to be riding when the second coming happens and he comes back at the end of the world to separate sheep from goats He's riding on a donkey, gently, is what's implied and what we can picture into that town. And the people are there. They didn't know him. Some of the very same people who are crying out Hosanna were quite likely the same that yelled, crucify him, crucify him, just a few days later. So they didn't know him. Uh, The madness of crowds, the stirring up of crowds, the mob action, um, Beware of that. Stay away from that. Don't let fervor grip you, any kind, uh, and take control of your emotions. There's a Christian company that puts out little bobbleheads of Martin Luther and and little pictures with cool quotes of of old reformers, but they have a whole line of of clothing and bags and T-shirts out that says, don't follow your heart. (laughs) Uh, And that's right. Well, these people, uh, some of them, Uh, no doubt, were people who came to Christ. Some of these, uh, no doubt, and, and, and many of them, the same ones calling him king and praising him as king, did not buy them a ticket to heaven, and he was turned on in short order that week. But we want to say, who is this stranger, this one that was unknown by the adoring public? Who was Jesus? What was he doing? Why was he entering Jerusalem at this point in time and in this way? So we'll look at the text and we'll get some answers this morning. And then, Lord willing, there'll be something that happens in our intellect, in our heart, that transfers possibly even into our actions about this text and what's happening. So, who was he? Well, We know he was the king. He was praised as a king. Verse 13 says this. Chapter 12, verse 13. They took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Theology 101 says this. Jesus has three offices. Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, and Jesus is king. And you want to look at Jesus in his life and work, look at Jesus, how he functions, and you might even, as you read in your own private, personal Bible reading, look at Jesus and say, is he operating here in his capacity as prophet? Is he being a priest? Is he being a king? Combination of both. But think of Jesus as ultimate prophet, ultimate priest, ultimate king. He was riding in, and this was his day to be Honored and lauded as the king. One of the other accounts where they said, Hey, disciples, shut these people up. They're making a scene. And Jesus said, You know what? If these people didn't cry out and praise me, the rocks would cry out. This is my day to be honored as king. And Jesus was a king. Every other gospel account Make sure Jesus is identified as king in this moment. In Mark, has them saying, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. He was coming, they said, here comes the kingdom of our father David, their greatest king, the glory days they longed for. In Matthew, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Everyone knew that it wasn't the son of, of David Sudlow or David Kuiper or David Hutchinson. They knew who the David was. David, King David, and they said this is the son of David. Hosanna to him, honoring him in his kingly line. Luke inserts the word king between blessed is the one who's coming and in the name of the Lord. So they all talk about Jesus as king as they all recount this incident. Jesus is and was king. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Paul is writing about Jesus' kingship in a letter back to Christians. He's telling us to try to be like Jesus, and he says this, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Jesus the king, Jesus who is equal with God, equal glory, because he's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. He counted that not something to be held on to, but he came down here, and he sure didn't look like a king. Paul goes on to say this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, which we understand from our reading of Scripture is Lord, the name that's above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do you do, or what did you do, when there was a proper understanding of a king's power and authority. Not talking about tabloid British stuff from today. Talking about kings in the olden days. A uh, picture, if you see an old, I don't know if the Errol Flynn version of Robin Hood has it, but, when, uh, but, but, but some of those movies do, and they found out when Richard the Lionhearted was among them fighting, and when they discovered him as the king, what did they do? Properly, they bowed down to the king. When you see Jesus for who he is, not just your your good old buddy, not just uh, somebody who uh, went to bat for you a time or two, you see him as the king, you worship him as the king. And he's a king. In the book of Revelation, there he is on the throne being worshipped properly. So Jesus was the king. And you say, well, then these people got it right. They did know him. All that talk about him being a stranger. He was no stranger. They did it right. He was the king. Didn't they see that? Uh, Well, they saw it, but they didn't see it. They didn't understand what a king looks like if that king is the God who created everything. And they didn't understand what that king would look like if that God who created everything took on himself the form of of, of a man and came down and was lowly, and didn't lord it over people here, uh, but served, and lived, and came to, not to, its Bible says, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So yes, he was the king. Yes, they were calling him a king, but their idea of king was different than God's idea of king. And it's that way with a lot of things. They were right. He was a king. What does one king traditionally do? Has the power over life and death. And what did this king do? What had he just done that made them notice him again? He had just given somebody life that had been dead. That's what a king does. A power over life and death. This king is a king who gave life. In our life, We have people set up. We don't call them king or your highness unless we're being sarcastic. Uh, We don't do that, but we have people set up in our lives, I'm afraid, that shouldn't be kings and lords over us, but they are. How many husbands or wives have been beaten down or have been raised up by their spouses to whom they've granted unholy sovereign power? Some people I know in a marriage, she's the walking dead because the person she gives her kingship to uses that a power and verbally abuses and beats her down. I've seen it happen more to men than women in my life because I just work with men more than women. But it's that way. And we look at things and we let people be our sovereign and we say, this is what's going to give me life this job, this income, this amount of of money in my account. This is going to be my king and my sovereign. How many Christian parents have had their lives controlled by the actions or threats of their godless kids who themselves have a different king, a godless culture? And things happen in homes, and we are on eggshells and we worry about what will happen and all of a sudden King Jesus is replaced by King status or King peace and quiet on the western front it's a hostage situation sometimes even within families where we have allowed status that only Jesus should have Someone says, if you don't affirm me and tell me I'm great and right in every godless endeavor, then I'm going to go off the deep end and embarrass you and cause you grief. And you say, all right, you set the temperature in my house and my family when there's only one person, one being to whom we should give that authority, and that's King Jesus man said to me one time, I've given up on seeing my daughter come to Christ. Right now I'm just trying to get her to play nice in the sandbox. And he was in agony as he said that, knowing that one day her days in the sandbox through corporate everything uh, would result in her leaving the sandbox and going into eternity without Christ. He'd given up. And my job was to say, don't give up. Just don't let her be the queen of your life. These people knew when they said King Jesus, they knew what the Roman emperor was capable of, taking life or granting life. Jesus had just granted life to somebody who had died. Lazarus, come forth. He is the king of life and death. And we're talking about even more than that. We're talking about spiritual life and death. Do you know what Hosanna means in the Hebrew? See, I thought it meant, you're great, you're great, you're great. Hosanna, 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 you're great, you're great, great. It means save us. Save us, O King. And they were saying, giving that glory, lot and honor, save us, O King. And what they were doing is quoting scripture. They were quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which says from the psalmist, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they treated him like the king who could really do what they were asking him to do. And that's our God. But they were so wrong in the kind of king they thought he was. He was limited in their minds. Limited to this sphere. And we know there's so much more than this. Thank God there's so much more than this. And yet, thank God for this. Because there's some good things going on, too. I was thinking as I was watching a little bit of opening day, and I, I thought of Gordon, who's had so many opening days and who was so excited for it on Wednesday. And boy, Aaron Judge, first home run out the bat. And, and I saw that on the on my little phone, and I said, well, Gordon's out there happy, <laughs> along with all those other Yankees. Um, Thank God for things like that. Thank God for a day like today where the sun shines. But boy, if you have to have stuff like that and only stuff like that, if the cake you're baking has to be just right, and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, if the money works out or doesn't work out or you get the praise or you get the attention, all that stuff, well, this is the earth we live in and I'm not saying don't live in this earth, but boy, Your king is bigger, and there's things going on that are so much bigger than this earth. And this will keep you grounded from getting too high when you don't need to, and it'll keep you from getting too despairing when you also don't need to. You're a Christian. There's a king. We like our king who's involved in this earth, but this king transcends all of this, and so does your soul, and so does your destiny, and so do you. There's a spiritual world which transcends and supersedes and overwhelms the things of this world. There actually is water that if you drink it, you will never thirst again. There actually is. King Jesus said so, and he told us what it is, and we're going to get there in a few weeks as we look through John. There actually is a door that leads to heaven, not just to another place on earth. There actually is a death that is eternal. And there actually is a life that is everlasting. And there's more than just this. And we don't despair and we don't hate this and we want to take care of this and we want to do what's right in this world and we want to we grow things and we want to make things nice and, and better than what we found them as a picture of what God's going to do. But there's more than this. And if you get so locked into this, I'm telling you, you, you either have to be blind... I guess you have to be blind to not ultimately let it lead you to despair. There's a spiritual which transcends this physical. And there is King Jesus that they wanted. And there's a better King Jesus that actually is. And he is the king. That's the stranger riding into town. So stay with us as we preach through John's gospel in the coming months, and we're going to expand on some of those themes. But for this morning, we have another question. Why was King Jesus, the King Jesus of the Bible, why was he riding into town on the donkey that day? Why was he there at that particular time and in that particular way? I've already said one reason on the timing on the calendar, because he wanted to show us what the Bible shows us as we look at it and we see it all coming and blending together and the foreshadowing of the Passover. He was there to die at that time because he's the ultimate Passover lamb. You know, don't you, from Scripture? You remember this from your reading that in the temple when Jesus died on the cross and had this big curtain and only the priest could go back there and meet with God. And that curtain when Jesus died was torn in half. uh, Just as if to say, it's not just a priest now. You come in. You come in. You are made ready. And and, And the great thing that the Bible points out to us, that was torn not as if a couple people got some scissors or some whatever they did and then they yanked it. That was torn from the top down. That was God saying, Passover lamb, all of these Passover sacrifices of this perfect lamb that, that, that your sins are on, that was all pointing to the perfect, true Passover lamb. So we know that that's why the timing. Why that way on a donkey? What's the section that, that John read for us this morning from Zechariah 9? And the context of that is salvation. And Jesus did so much in his life to fulfill these Old Testament prophecies. Everyone there in the Old Testament that pointed to him was fulfilled by him. Now he didn't have a say and not one of his bones were broken. Now the Romans fulfilled that. They didn't break his bones. Came by, he's hanging on the cross, dying, and, and sometimes it was such a painful death as they hung there that they, would have a, um, they had a brace down there because they wanted the death to take as long as it could. And so they had a place for their feet. And, and on the cross, you die from suffocation more than from the wounds uh, that they've put on you. The external wounds are just the torture part and the fun part. That's the cat playing with the, the little mouse before she dives in and, and finally goes for the kill. Um, the kill is suffocate to death. And they'd come by and they'd break their legs so they couldn't prop themselves up uh, when, when the sport was over. And they would die and something would happen within their lungs, they couldn't breathe, and that was it. They came to Jesus, he was already dead, and not one of his bones were broken. Just stuck a, stuck a fork in him, stuck the spear in, and out comes the blood, water and the blood. Uh, so an example of Jesus fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy in his death. All through scripture, Jesus did this. And that donkey was chosen as a fulfillment of scripture. A wonderful study that you could take. I bet I bet if you've got a decent study Bible, uh, if, or if you've got little finger dexterity and you can go online, you can find Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ in the New. And you could take a look at those. And that would be a fun little thing to do on, on what we call Holy Week, to see how Jesus fulfilled all those Old Testament things. Here's our friend C.S. Lewis. He said, One of the rewards of reading the Old Testament regularly is that you keep on discovering more and more what a tissue of quotations from the New Testament it is. And you see it. And it's one book, 66 chapters. And that's one reason Jesus came to Jerusalem in the way he did. So we've got the time he did the way he did. But what was his purpose? What was his purpose? Rebuild his fan base. Sell some books. Get back to doing the big concerts again. No, he was coming to die. That's the kind of king he is. He was the king who was about to make the ultimate sacrifice for his people. Yes, he accepted the praise of his people. Yes, in this and it was in that song we sung about all glory, lot, and honor. Yes, he did allow them to call him king on this occasion. Prior to this, he had resisted it on occasion. Even back to the temptation where Satan promised him an earthly kingdom. If he would just bow down to him, he goes, no, it's not my kind of kingdom. Don't want an earthly kingdom. Then there was an incident where he was, the people were just blown away by his miracles. And in John 6, verses 14 and 15, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, even back then, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Wasn't time. He was the king. Wasn't time to, to, to come and, and accept that mantle. Now was the time. And now is the time for them to call him king and bow down and and worship him. But what do you think the dialogue was between father and son as he's riding in to die? Hey, God the Father, God the Spirit, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Maybe we've got it off a little bit. They're calling me king. Maybe, Maybe we can extend this or maybe we can flip this around. Maybe something's different. That was not Jesus' attitude as he was riding in and as the people were calling him king in a frenzied manner as they did. Luke's account tells us of Jesus weeping over the city as he approached. This king had tears. This king in the midst of all of the hosannas, in the midst of all the palms and Some talk about them laying their coats down in front of him and all the accolades. What did this king do? Luke 19, 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's not very kingly of him. It's very prophetic of him. And he looked and he heard the voices, and he knew that some of these voices would be torn apart when those Romans came in as they did in A.D. 70, and wiped that place to the ground. And he said, you didn't even know. And it's not enough to say, king, 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 king. Oh, king, oh, king, oh, king. king," To protect you if you're not understanding Jesus as the true prophet, priest, and king. And if he's not really your king. If he's just a fad. King that can only weep because he cannot, you know, Defend his people from destruction. Was Jesus crying because he was helpless? Or is it a different kind of king? That's the question. And the answer has to be that Jesus is not helpless, so it's a different kind of king. Not an earthly king. He's a king grieved at those who reject him. And John wrote that gospel after Luke's, and he didn't correct any of that. He didn't say, here's what really happened. He accepted Luke's gospel as truth and he added a perspective and gave us a a broadening picture of it. But he didn't correct it. This happened. So Jesus accepted the accolades and title of king but he knew uh, his kingship was leading him to the cross. He knew his kingship was leading him to the torture of the cross but he knew even more his kingship was leading him to the wrath of the Father poured down on him in place of his people. So we go a little farther in the text than we read to see what happened as John gave us this account. Verses 20 through 26. Okay, so Jesus comes in, Pharisees have said, You're gaining nothing, the whole worlds have gone after him. Uh some people came from Greek Greece. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. So here's what the king's thinking about. Here's what the king's got on his mind. Here's what Jesus has going on when they come to see him. Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Wait a minute, I thought he was glorified. They all waved palm branches and called him king. This different kind of king has a different definition of glorification. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so Jesus' thought process is about dying, and bringing people to life as a result of his death. That's the whole illustration. And I would say, are you, are you a Christian? If you are, then this is this is something I have to say to you. You are the fruit that has been born by his death. Why are you following him in this world when so many aren't? Something happened in you and you were called and you came to Christ. Yeah, you're in the minority. Yeah, you're on the narrow road, not the broad road. But you are what Jesus was thinking about and who Jesus was thinking about then. What's the reason for your change in perspective about possessions and all earthly things? It's because you're king and he is your king. He died like that grain of wheat to do a work in you, to make you a follower. Look at John 12, 27 through 33, the next section. He's continuing on and talking. This is his, um, not stream of consciousness, but this is his response when the people wanted to see him. They wanted to see the king that everybody was talking about. Hey, I got the inside track. We know Philip. We can get to Andrew. We can get to the king. He's like, I'll tell you what my kingship is. Listen to him describe it. Here's what King Jesus says. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's the Father speaking down there. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. What do you mean the judgment of the world? The judgment of the world is on Jesus. Now it's come. Here's the hour. Now he says, will the ruler of this world be cast out? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I'm going to be lifted up, and that's my throne. That's my throne. I'm the king, a different kind of king, and I don't sit on a human throne. I sit on a cross. That's my throne. Here's my coronation speech. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is finished. Uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. There's his coronation speech. This is what the king had to say at his crowning. Think about it. And think about your king, Jesus, if he's your king. What kind of a king do you worship? Song ran through my head. This is a bit of nostalgia for all you old people. Not old, old people, but kind of old people like me. There was a song where the woman sang, nobody's perfect, not even a perfect stranger. Well, here's a perfect stranger that was perfect. And Jesus was like every one of those lambs in there, except he was better. Those lambs that were being sacrificed to point to forgiveness of sin, they had been inspected. They'd been looked at. They were the healthy ones. They were the valuable, the good ones. But you know what? All the inspection of the world, if we could run them through the ringer, we'd find some flaw, just less flaws. There's no such thing as a perfect lamb in this world. It doesn't have some blemish. But here's our high priest, Jesus, our king, who now is also functioning as our priest, sacrificing himself for us. And he was perfect and is perfect. And his death brought life to his people. We close with one passage, and you can turn there if you want. It's just a few pages over. It's 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 13 through 21. Second Corinthians 5, verse 13. Paul's writing. God's words, God breathing it out, and he's writing it to the church in Corinth there. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. You've died in Christ. Think about that. One died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. From now on, Paul says, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh even though he once regarded Christ according to the flesh. In other words, we tried to figure him out as an earthly king, as an earthly this and earthly that. Once we regard him according to the flesh, now we see and we don't regard him that way anymore. We regard him thus no longer, is how, how it puts it in Scripture. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. You're not the same person having encountered Christ and been Become a Christian. Having repented and placed your faith in Jesus and been transformed, you're different than you were before and you're different than the people around you in that sense. All this, verse 18, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So when we say evangelize, that's not just something to get a little star next to your name in heaven on some board somewhere. It's because you're an ambassador for Christ. You represent Christ. He's reconciled you to him. And now you can say to people that you know and love as you pray for them, Jesus is our only hope. Sick of this world? Well, I'm sorry you're sick of this world, but I've got an answer for you. There's a better world and a brighter, and you see Jesus, the world even looks a little better because you know what's going on. We're his ambassadors. And Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then this wonderful verse that sums up the gospel in in this one verse. 521. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what puts you into God's kingdom. He's a king, he's got a kingdom, he's got some royal subjects, the people he came to save. You, if you're a Christian. Quick application I wrote, don't go back on the chain gang because I had that band in my head that said that about perfect strangers. Don't go back on the chain gang. These people, it's like they're slaves to the world. They get an afternoon off. They get to go out and praise Jesus as king, and then they run right back, and they're back in their slavery. All that moment was gone, and and, and so they did that at one time. It's like people who come to church every now and then and uh, on an occasion, and, and, and they haven't done in what? It's actually maybe doing you more damage than, 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 than not. Don't go back there. If you acknowledge Jesus as king, then try to figure out what kind of a king he is so you can really acknowledge him as a real king, a spiritual, godly king, the son of God. Don't go back there. And believer, don't you go back there either. Why? Why, why do you want to go pretend that you're in prison when you've been set free? Why run back to that? You don't even have to be here. What's he doing here? Oh, he's been here 30 years. He just can't live out in the outside world, so he's just back in jail going through prison stuff. Why? You're free. You set free. You can live for God. And finally, I just put this because I told these guys this morning, and Tito told me a sad story. I said, Tito, I feel like crying. And just says, let me tell you something. And it's worse. Uh, Don't despair of this world. Don't despair. It's easy to despair. It's easy to despair when we see this. Uh, How do you you function? It's been a long time. I I was in seminary. I went with a pastor who was allegedly trying to train me. And we'd been through hard times with uh, losing a child with a miscarriage. And and I'd known the grief of that. This pastor took me with him comfort this couple who'd lost a child with a miscarriage and I've never heard such terrible things he goes well at least you have your dog he said all this stuff and I'm in training quote unquote and I am what's going on here and I caught that young couple at church yesterday and I said listen here's what I couldn't say yesterday and I had to be loyal to the pastor who was you know, but I said, I've been through this pain that you've been through, and it hurts, and I know that. And that young man said to me, he said, "It's hard for us." He said, "But I don't know how the pagans do it. I don't know how people who don't know the Lord can get through the grief that we're going through, but we have the Lord." And I said, "Come here. Tell this pastor this. This is what he needs to be saying to you." And I, no, I didn't say that. But listen. Don't despair of the world. There is hope. There is another side to this. There is something coming for the Christian, and it's good. Jesus did say, I go, I prepare a place for you. If I come again, I'll receive you to myself. Where I am, there you will be also. Driving in my car and just hitting random, just looking for the right song, you know, random, random. I have a list called Best. Not that, not that, not that, not that, not that. And then one came and it made me nostalgic and, and in, in a teary way it brought tears to my eyes but it was one Grandpa Swanson always liked. If you're going to play in Texas you've got to have a fiddle in the band. And I thought about Grandpa liking that song and listening to that in his old blue pickup truck and I thought, I get to see Grandpa again. Grandpa is in heaven worshipping God. That Grandpa whose house I was out at who who told my mom about Jesus, who who told me about Jesus. Uh, Grandpa's dead, but he's not dead and never to be seen again. I'll see grandpa even in a better way. I'll be even a better grandpa there than here because there is hope in this world, and there's nothing that can take away your hope. If you're saved, and we're going to get into this as we start the men's group going through this little thing by Packer on... Uh, The death of death and the death of Christ. We're going to go through his introduction to that. But he's talking about that and he's talking about uh, the whole point is, since it's God who saved you, you can do nothing to unsave yourself. And there is hope. There is hope and, and there's good things that we can come along and encourage each other when we're down because we can remind each other of the hope that's there and that phrase that that John read, the prisoners of hope, we've been set free. And so I would say, as we've talked about a king, a king who's going to a cross to die a terrible death on our behalf, as we think about that, as you read the headlines and you think about death and destruction and despair and gloom and, and there's a whole industries in this world just trying to make people scared because As we like to talk about. Fear equals control. Control equals power. Uh, They can't control you. And they can't have power over you. Because they can't make you so scared. Because you know who's really in charge. And the one who's really in charge. Took on flesh. And died on a cross. And took your sins on himself. So that you could have righteousness of Christ. And that's what we have. So. had a professor in seminary, Roy Taylor. He'd go, it's time to quit, and so we will. <laughs> and that's what we'll do. But you take these thoughts, and you don't, you don't stop thinking about God just because the service is over. You take it, take it with you this week. Don't despair of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is a king. But what kind of a king? A king who died for us to bring us into the kingdom. What a king that loves us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this week that uh, some people call Holy Week. We know that every week of the year is Holy Week and it's Holy Year and it's Holy Life. But we thank you for this week where there is a little extra emphasis even from the surrounding culture uh, about uh, Easter. Let me get there through the death on the cross, through Good Friday. And we thank you for all of these things. And we thank you for Jesus who died for our sins, who really lived, really died, really rose again, really ascended and is really coming back. In his name we pray, amen.